0: You know, in many ways, emptiness becomes a part of our life. And we struggle with it. And it looks different for each of us, and it, it sort of comes about and manifests itself in different ways. But today, see, we gather as the church to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah who predicted that he would die in our place, and on the third day that he would rise. And He certainly did. So today is all about the resurrection. We talk about the empty tomb, but yet we know in our lives, we don't always feel like we have new life, do we? Sometimes we feel like we're empty inside. But you know, the resurrection of Jesus is obviously central to the celebration of Easter, but you know, there was a recent study done by the Barna Group, and if you haven't heard of them, they, they do a lot of surveys among the churches to sort of discover and communicate trends among Christians. And the Barna Group recently found that less than half of adult Americans are able to link Easter to the resurrection. They found that only 42% of adults could understand the connection of Easter And the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Adults, young adults, between the ages of 18 and 25, did the worst on that survey. The president of the Barna Group said this. The Easter holiday in particular still has distinctly religious connection for people. But the specifics of it are really fading in a lot of people's minds. So people might have a fading idea these days that Easter and what they hear about Easter is connected to the resurrection of Jesus. It's kind of like the story of the grandfather who had asked his young granddaughter um, why we celebrate Easter. And so they were sitting there together and she said, Well, Granddad, it's, it's when Jesus was crucified and he died and his disciples put his body in the grave and they rolled a big stone in front of the opening. And it's when the guards went to sleep, and on the third day, there was a big earthquake, and the stone rolled away. And hearing all that, her grandfather was really encouraged, and he had a big smile on his face that she knew so much about Easter. So she continued to tell him, So then, Grandpa, then the earthquake happened, the entire town came out by the grave, and if Jesus came out and saw his shadow, they knew there would be six more weeks of winter." She was so close. But see, the problem is, as the survey found, there are so many people today that kind of fall into the same trap. They know a little bit about the fact that there was this guy named Jesus and he supposedly came back to life and that maybe it had something to do with the seasons and winter and spring and groundhog and it gets all melded into one. But see, as believers... The encouragement is that we are the ones who know the truth. And we know the full story and the importance of the resurrection. And we are called to declare that He is risen and to declare it to the world. See, you know why that is? It's because very simply, we are the people of hope. And if you remember nothing else from this morning, would you remember that? That we as the church, as believers in the risen Lord, are people of hope. So as the church, we are to declare the victory of Jesus over sin and death to the world because more than anything, people need hope. Would you agree with that? I mean, if there were cell phones and smartphones back in the day, I would think that there'd be a lot of people taking pictures and video of what was happening, right? And it would certainly go viral, don't you think? I mean, it would be trending, Which means everybody's talking about it. And in a way, the resurrection is trending today, isn't it? But see, it's been trending for the past 2,000 years. But somewhere along the line, the importance, the impact began to fade. But we are called as the church to make sure that doesn't happen. Because we are the people of hope. But why is the resurrection so important it's because everybody needs hope everybody needs something to believe in you hear people say that all the time i just want to know that there's something bigger than myself something to live for other than just myself do you know that job from the book of job in the old testament he asked that very question he asked that very question Job asks himself in, in Job 14.14, 14, he says these amazing words, If someone dies, will they live again? All the days of my hard service, I will wait for my renewal to come. In its essence, Job was searching for hope. That's really what it is. And we need hope desperately in this world, in this life. Many people today are simply in survival mode. And you know what? Maybe you're sitting here and that resonates with you. Or maybe you can relate to times in your life where, yeah, you were just trying to get by, seeking relief from suffering and pain and sorrow and heartache and emptiness. Well, this morning is when we remember that Jesus is the only one who offers true and lasting hope. As believers... We still experience loss and pain, of course. But in Christ, we have the reality of divine peace. The freedom and the hope to carry us through. See, that's the difference. That's what we celebrate this morning. Not that everything is perfect, but that we have hope in the midst of our trials. And only Christ offers the greatest hope of all, that this life is not all that there is. Can we say amen to that? And hallelujah. That one day we will shed these jars of clay and be in our Lord's presence for all eternity. So why is the resurrection so important? Because it is the cornerstone of our faith and the reason for our hope. First Peter 3.15 says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Did you know that the resurrection was the focus of all of the apostles' preaching in the book of Acts. If you go back and read Acts, and you see the preaching and the witnessing of all of the early disciples, all of their messages, all of their sermons, all of their preaching was focused and centered on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, Peter's sermon at Pentecost was focused on the resurrection, and you know that more than 3,000 people believed that day? Because Peter was preaching the resurrection of Christ. We believe in a risen Savior, and we follow a God who is certainly not dead, but He is alive. You know, there was a Muslim man who um, was asking his friend one day, a friend who had just become a Christian, who had been Muslim. And so this Muslim man asked his friend, Why have you become a Christian? Of all things, why did you become a Christian And the friend answered, well, it's kind of like this. Suppose you were going down a road and suddenly it forked into two. And there was a fork in the road going in two different directions and you didn't know which way to go. And there, right at the fork in the road, there were two men. One was dead and one was alive. Which one would you ask for directions? See? And that's the way he explained it. It was simply because he believed in a Savior who was alive. So ours is a living hope. Our text for today is found in First Peter. It'll be up on the screen for you in a minute, but if you'd like to turn in your Bibles, it's First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. In First Peter chapter 1, 3 through 9, just a short passage for this morning, is an amazing way that he opens this brief letter because it's all about being born again to not just a hope, but to a living hope, because we serve a living Savior. So here's what it says in first Peter one, verses three through nine. And then I just want to take one half and look at it, and then the other half and look at it, just briefly this morning, about the importance of the resurrection At the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. A little bit of background on this, this short passage See, Peter, the Apostle Peter, was writing to Christians. So this, of course, is written to Christians. He says it right in his opening greeting. And there are Christians that are scattered throughout the world. So it's not just to one church. To Christians that are scattered and maybe don't have their communities. But more importantly, these are Christians all throughout the known world that are suffering. They're suffering various trials. They're living amongst pagans. They are being oppressed. Because of their faith. So what does Peter do to encourage them? He proclaims the blessings of being a redeemed people of God. See, Peter is encouraging and empowering these struggling believers. So how does he do that? He reminds them of the resurrection and the living hope that we have. Because Christ is risen, we know that death is not the end. So he says that to encourage these suffering and oppressed Christians. See, he reminds them that those who are in Christ, yes, we die, we will not remain dead, but because of Christ's resurrection, they will be resurrected to new life. So we live because he lives. See that? So the resurrection of Jesus gives us assurance of a future, but it also provides power to endure. In our present sufferings, it's a living hope because God guarantees it in the resurrection. So, just want to look uh, briefly at verses 3 through 5. Verses 3 through 5 of our passage today. And a couple things we want to make sure that we don't miss. See, we have a hope of a future inheritance. Now, maybe some of you are the beneficiaries of an inheritance, maybe a loved one wanted to leave you something and they have passed on to be with the Lord and they left you an inheritance. We all kind of have an idea of what that looks like. But see, in a very profound way, that's what we have in God through Jesus Christ is a promised inheritance. But in order for that inheritance to become realized, Jesus needed to go to the cross, but then he needed to fulfill that promise and come back to life three days later. It says in these verses that we are heirs, we are heirs of this inheritance. It calls the inheritance undefiled, unfading. Undefiled meaning it's unstained by evil. There's nothing that can mar or taint our wonderful inheritance in Christ. It's unfading, so time does not change it. The longer that Christ waits to return for us, it doesn't mean that our inheritance is spent or is fading away. It is kept for us, it says, which means our inheritance is safe and secure. If you inherited something so priceless and valuable, wouldn't you want to keep it and keep it secure? That's what God did for us through Jesus Christ. In verse 3, it says He had great mercy, which means He provided hope when all we had was a hopeless condition. We don't deserve it. He says we are given new birth. Which means it's from Him and not us. See, it's His unmerited favor. We cannot do anything to earn this inheritance. We don't deserve it, but we can't earn it as well. It is from Him, a new birth from Him. It says we are born again into this living hope. From death to life, just like Jesus Christ, from Friday to Sunday. So our hope, it's firm, secure, certain, and real. But the world's hope is empty and false and fleeting, and often deceptive. But see, verse 4 calls it an inheritance. Now I want to park here for just a second, because this is so important, how we connect the Old Testament to the New Testament. When it says the inheritance, it's the same word that is used in many references in the Old Testament to the Abrahamic covenant. Do you remember that? When God made a promise to Abraham, He said that you will be the father of many nations. He also promised him and his descendants that would become Israel a land, didn't he? We call it the promised land. So that idea of inheritance, that same word in our passage today is the same word used in the Old Testament references like in Numbers and elsewhere to this inheritance of the people of Israel of the land. And you know why that's so important? Because when God made the promise through Abraham to the people of Israel, they would have a land. It was a promise that he intends to keep, but it's also an unconditional promise, which means God is the one who makes sure that it is kept, regardless of the people of Israel's um, disobedience or obedience. See, that's the Mosaic covenant, blessing and curse. But the Abrahamic covenant is secure and sure because it's unconditional. It's an inheritance that God says, I promise you, that you will get one day. You know, in Genesis 15, 17 to 18, this is very important to this whole context. Here's what it says about when God made the covenant to Abram. wasn't even Abraham at the time. Look at what God did. Look at the significance here. It says, when the sun had gone down, and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces, meaning pieces, of an animal sacrifice, a burnt offering. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. Now why is that important? Because as we read right before this, God put Abraham into a deep sleep. And God is the one in the form of the, the smoking pot and the flame. He is the one that passed between the pieces of the animal sacrifice. And that's significant because back in the day, that was what they did in order to signify a covenant. Normally it would be two people who were making a covenant with one another. They would symbolically pass between the burning offering. And that would symbolically mean that they are both held to that covenant. But see, what did God do? He put Abraham to sleep and God himself went through the midst of the burnt offering as if to say, Abraham, no matter what you do, I will keep the promise of the land inheritance. So it's just like in our passage today, when Peter reminds us that we are heirs to this great inheritance that's kept secure, we can be assured that no matter what, how often we falter or fail, God will keep His promise. And Jesus Christ was the one who did that for us. Isn't that amazing? See, but our, inhe- our inheritance... As the church, as believers in Christ, as Christians, is not a land promise here on earth, but it is in heaven. So our inheritance is eternal, and it is in heaven. Yes, we enjoy many blessings in this life, but our true inheritance is in heaven. Ephesians 1 says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed With the promised Holy Spirit, now look what it says, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. So until Christ returns and we gain possession of it for all eternity, He gave us the Holy Spirit within each believer as a seal, as a mark, as a guarantee of this beautiful inheritance. So when we understand the value, when we understand the value of the glory that awaits us, what that means for us here and now is that we are better able to endure whatever hardships or difficulties may come our way in this life. We can give God praise even in the midst of trials because we have this guarantee that in heaven we will receive all that He has promised 2 Corinthians four seventeen says it this way. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So whatever it is you're going through this morning, whatever kind of trials or pains or difficulties or heartaches, whatever emptiness you may be feeling, the Apostle Paul reminds us it's light and it's momentary. Now we need to stop there for a second. Maybe it's easy for Paul to say that, but no, didn't he suffer trials and persecution? But he says, no matter what you're going through, no matter what the Lord is allowing you to experience in the way of difficulties, Paul is saying, compared to our inheritance, it's light and it's momentary because our inheritance outweighs it all. But then the next verse tells us then how to live in light of that promise. So verse 18 says, okay, Paul is saying, here's the truth. It's light and momentary, but here's what you do now. So in verse 18, he says, so what we should do is fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen, that's temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, he backs it up and he says, fix our eyes on that inheritance, especially When you're going through difficulties here and then the second half of our passage today just verses six through nine he says things like we are to rejoice even through various trials because our faith is being tested but there's a result and an outcome of that and through it all we have this inexpressible joy so our response to this hope this inheritance in the present time is to have that hope and to express joy, he says. Rejoicing, he calls it, in verse 6, because of the truth of the resurrection. It's also a reality check of our faith, he says, we are to live what we believe, and we are to grow in love for him. That's why we use words here at Trinity like we learn, we grow, and then we go and we serve and tell others about the resurrection. See, we don't see him now, he says, but His presence is real in our life, nonetheless. He says this joy is inexpressible. And the reward of our faith, of believing in Christ, is salvation. But listen, it's a salvation, not only eternal, but here and now. I'll tell you why. Because that word salvation doesn't always mean eternal salvation from sin. That's important. As you read the New Testament, it talks about salvation. Oftentimes, it doesn't mean eternal salvation. It means being saved Being rescued from our current difficulties. That God protects us. See, salvation has a past, present, and future character. We were born again, given new birth, verse 3. We are currently shielded through our faith by God's power, verse 5. But then we will gain our full inheritance, which is kept for us, which is revealed at Christ's return, which is what we look forward to. Because he rose again, and then we know from scriptures that for 40 days, he appeared to the disciples, and it said to 500 other people at least, but then we know the thing called the ascension, when he went back to the Father, and he said, I'll give you the Holy Spirit until I return. You know, on Friday night, we gathered here and we remembered, we didn't celebrate, we remembered. The suffering of Christ on the cross and what it cost. His shed blood and His body given for us. And we took communion together around the Lord's table. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians, you know, he tells us that we are to eat the bread and drink the cup because we do that proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. So we are to do that to be obedient until He returns. Because when He returns, we receive that full inheritance. I often have... People, friends, brothers and sisters in the Lord, when we talk about our aching joints and our pains and our difficulties, and then we often, I know you do this too, you just say, I can't wait for that glorified body. I can't wait to receive it, to shed these jars of clay and to receive that awesome body. Some of you are like designing it and praying and asking God what you want it to look like. I guarantee it will be a lot better than you can even think or imagine. And that's thank you, Lord. Amen. That's right. Praise God for that. And we get to be reunited with our loved ones. But you know what? We, in all of that, we gain an inheritance that is undefiled and cannot ever perish or fade away. It's the resurrection of Christ that makes all of this, this beautiful inheritance, possible. You know, there was a little boy once who was driving with his father and they were driving home from the store one day and all of a sudden, it was a nice day, so the windows were open. All of a sudden, a bee flew into the car. Did that ever happen to you? The other day, a bird flew right into the passenger side window of our car and thank God the window was up, right? Because that bird might still be in the car. But here was this father and his son. It was a nice day, and they were driving, and a bee flew into the car. Normally, maybe that wouldn't freak us out. Some of us, it might. But suddenly, the little boy remembered, and his father did too, of course, that he was severely allergic to bee stings. Some of you know what that's like. So he was certainly afraid and startled and started crying. So what did his father do? His father quickly reached out. He grabbed the bee and squeezed it in his hand, then he released it. But as soon as he let it go, the young son became frantic again because it started buzzing around the car again. But the father once again, he reached out his hand, but this time, not to catch the bee, but he opened his hand, and he pointed to it to his son. And there, stuck in his skin, was the stinger from the bee. You see this, the father asked. You don't need to be afraid anymore. I've taken the sting for you. See, the Christian doesn't need to fear death. Because Christ has taken the sting out of death and sin. We sang of that earlier. He's our living hope. He's the object of our faith, which ultimately leads to our inheritance into which we were born, Peter says, which is currently being kept for us in heaven but will be revealed to us when Christ returns. Matthew 28, it says this, The angel said to the woman, Don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen just as He said. I'd like you all to stand with me now. I want to close by reading a passage from Scripture. So I think it's good that we stand as the reading of the Word And then I'm going to pray. Would you allow these words? Would you allow these words? They'll be up on the screen for you as well. Would you allow them to just sink into your mind and receive them in your heart as words of encouragement and of the promise of the inheritance that we have? It says in 1 Corinthians 15 I declare to you, brothers and sisters, That flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with the "...immortality." And see, that's the new bodies we receive. "...when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ." So therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. No matter what you're going through, you go and serve the Lord, brothers and sisters. And he says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. And always give yourself to Him. But why can we do that? Why can we do it with confidence? Because of the inheritance that we have, that is being held for us, a promise given to us through Jesus Christ, but it's all because of Christ's resurrection. It's all because of the empty tomb. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful, but grateful beyond words, that you have secured for us an inheritance, not a place here on earth, not a piece of land for your church, but It is an inheritance in heaven it's one that is eternal it is one that we look forward to it is one we wish we had right now father but we know that you give us you give us that inheritance but you also give us a promise through the Holy Spirit and so we are grateful beyond words that we now can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ we can celebrate it together In community, loving one another as brothers and sisters, encouraging each other in our faith, even during times of trials and difficulties, we can say thank you. And so, Lord, it is in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus that we say thank you. And it's in his precious name that we just worship you and honor you for that great inheritance. So thank you, Father, for all that you have done. We sing to you. We worship you. God, may you get all the glory. We look forward to that day when we receive that inheritance. But until then, help us to stand firm, to stand strong and not be moved in our faith, because that inheritance is secure, and because we are the people of hope. Amen. Let's remain standing.